Hello and welcome to Audible River. I'm Alan Rice, and I'm very happy to have with me Dr. Holly Holmes Meredith, licensed family and marriage therapist and director of HCH Institute. Hi, Holly. It's great to see you. Hi, Alan. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Welcome. I'm delighted. So can you tell me a little bit, what is HCH Institute? HCH Institute is a school primarily where we have trainings to provide uh, certifications in hypnotherapy, energy therapy, and in shamanic practices. And outside of that, we are a community of healers and practitioners that provide individual services. We have a low-fee clinic that provides services online at this time in hypnotherapy and energy therapy for the public at $40 a session. Wow. And these services are provided by graduates of our training who are doing postgraduate internships to get advanced certifications. And we also have events for the public, such as meetups. We have meetup for past life exploration. We have a meetup for shamanic exploration. And we also have one for hypnotherapists. So it's really a community of healers and learners and people that are interested in personal growth. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty exciting. It sounds like you have uh, probably a lot of people involved with this uh, organization. We have a lot of people come and go over the years. Um, I just was looking at my email list, which is a lot of people have moved on or have opted out, but I have over 10,000 people on my email list. My goodness. That's the amount of people that we've been able to support over the years in our community. Wow, that's, that's really amazing. Um, I, what I know about you and your work, I kind of think of you as a as a pioneer of someone who is uh, uh, merging psychology, that's like traditional psychological therapy, with spirituality. Um, and so, tell me, a, I want to learn more about your journey, that and what is what does that mean to you? Merging those two things, psychology and spirituality. Well, it's true that's what my work is about. And what it means to me is integrating the mind with the heart and the soul. And this comes about through what I was trained in, which is transpersonal psychology, which goes beyond the traditional theories to include the spirituality and the dimensions of mystics mm. beyond beyond the seen realms that we can access through non-ordinary states of consciousness. So combining the spiritual with the psychological means that we're not only going to heal the mind and heal the traumas of our life, but we're going to expand ourselves to encompass our spiritual dimensions. Wow. Now, do you have uh, people come to you who uh, maybe they're not really familiar with, uh, with spirituality or they not, wouldn't profess to having a spiritual life and do you have do you deal with people like that and and how do they are they receptive to uh, your techniques and programs we support people at whatever paradigm level or philosophy of life they come to so we have people who are agnostics that we work with and that doesn't really affect the work because the work will support someone tapping into their greater selves if they decide to do the work. And that's because we're combining the emotional daily life issues with the sense that we are something more than that and that we have an aspect of ourself that's a healing 
supportive framework that we can move into with these techniques that we use. So you don't have to believe in spiritual. You don't have to have any particular orientation to have a spiritual experience within yourself. It is all inwardly generated. So there's no belief system, no need to subscribe to any tradition. The work is really just generated from within the client. Wow. Yes, because I guess <clears throat> it's true. Everyone has an inner life of some sort, right? And I think that uh, it seems that you know, even even friends of mine that I've known who are, you know, as you say, agnostic or even atheist, uh, they even talk about feeling spiritual. You know, whether they actually uh, identify it with any kind of deity or anything that's ongoing, there, there is some aspect of us that I think that almost everyone uh, they can only call it spiritual, I guess, right? And so that acknowledging that part of a person, I think, is uh, is is very key, and uh, and it's great that you have worked on a place where people can can come and have that part of themselves uh, seen, let's say, and uh, worked with. And, um, and I also know that in, um, in, your, in your work, I've, I've noticed in reading about it that um, you refer to, and you might have mentioned it just now, the higher self of an individual. So tell me what that is. Well, you could call it a lot of different things. If someone is, quote, non-spiritual, unquote, it could be referred to as the intuitive aspect or the creative, resourceful part of a person. So, and every tradition would have a different name for it. The Christians might call it the Christ within. Uh, the Buddhists might call it the Atman. There's all frameworks from all traditions. But what this aspect is, is this part of ourselves that's eternal. Mm. The part that is wise infinite, creative, resourceful, non-judgmental, allowing, uh, that encompasses our true essence of who we are. And the, the psychological part is, of course, there too, because we've got the ego and the superego and the id and all those parts that psychologists talk about. Mm -hmm. But those are typically in our daily life running the show. And when we start to look into the more spiritual dimensions of ourself through the higher self, we tap into this bigger self. Mm -hmm. The self that goes beyond duality, the part that has the healing capacity, the part that sees the bigger pictures. And from my perspective, compared to traditional psychology, this aspect is what speeds up the healing process and the evolution of us because that's where you use the term light. That's mm -hmm. where our light is. This right. is the part of us that will illuminate and give us solace and support and transformation through all those dark, bumpy places that we've all experienced and carry within us. Wow. So it sounds like that you, <clears throat> you're really working with, um, I, it seems to me like a, a non-religious way of experiencing that vital part of ourselves. Um, and but and you also mentioned the the psychological aspects of our being, and so so we are saying that the higher self is of a different nature than than the ego or the unconscious. Uh, that those those are like you know we can call them mental constructs or part of our mind, but the the higher self is. And, and just tell me if you know if you're agreeing or you can add to this. The higher self is something that is individual to us. Is that is that what you're saying? Okay. Well, it is individual to us, but it is part of a bigger matrix. Okay. That is being revealed quite beautifully now through quantum physics. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. 
you can juxtapose quantum physics with psychology and spirituality, you'll have an understanding that there is like a, a hologram that is the consciousness through which the universe is, is created and, and expressed, and that we are a part of that hologram. And when we tap into our higher selves, we have access to that hologram, which is that bigger aspect that we're a part of. When we're just looking at the psychology, it's all very personal. There's definitely cultural influences and familial influences, but the sense of self is really very personal rather than transpersonal, which is what you access through the higher self. Right. Okay. Um, so I, I've looked into like a quantum mechanics, quantum physics a, a little bit, and so it's. I mean, so the. The, the big, weird, magical thing that was discovered a long time ago in quantum uh, physics is that apparently nothing exists until we look at it, sort of. Right. That, that everything is in a potential state. And this is, this is science, right? But it's uh, the scientists that are looking at this are, are all, I mean, they say like, okay, it doesn't make sense, but the proof is right there. This is what is happening. Uh, right. So what does that say about our role in reality itself. Well, to me, what it says is that we're creating our own reality. Mm -hmm. And I often say we all live on the same planet, but we don't live in the same world. Oh. And that's because each of us have a matrix of consciousness that's creating our own unique sense of what is. And, and as we project into the universe through our consciousness, we are literally creating our own life and our own world. Our beliefs our proclivities, um, our sense of self are totally, I don't know, just sort of limited by our own perceptions. And if you can expand into bigger perceptions, you become limitless. You know what? That is exciting and scary all at the same time. I mean, and I, <laughs> and I say that because <clears throat> I, I've, I've um, been thinking about that very thing some in the last couple of years. And uh, so these epiphanies have, have come to me that, uh, okay, if I get outside of my belief system, I get outside of my history, and then like, and like all possibilities open up, but then it feels like I'm stepping off of a cliff into nothing because anything is possible. And so th it's, the, uh, it's the fear of leaving the familiar that, uh, that, wants me to, that makes me want to draw back. Uh, well, you are describing exactly what happens in therapy when people come in because really? they want to change, but they're afraid to change because it is jumping into the unknown. But the emptiness that you described mm -hmm. could ex be exactly what the opposite of it is. It's, it's the, the potentiality for everything at the same time. Yeah. And and so I guess the you know what I do with this, I mean... Once I see it, I know, well, that's real. What do I do with that information? What do I do with that realization, right? Do I, do I just like, you know, hide in my old life? Or do I just open the door to, to this possibility? Or is this, is this where we have the, where we're able to exercise our will to actually be creative beings? Absolutely. This yeah. is where free will comes in. You can choose to hide or you can choose to grow. And typically what supports our choice to grow is pain mm -hmm. and, and difficulties that we can no longer tolerate. Oh. So sometimes these negative experiences are the doorways through which we can move into new territory and, and discover new aspects of ourselves mm -hmm. as we do the work. Oh, my goodness. 
not always easy. You know, sometimes no. it's very fearful to let go and, and move into the unknown. But it can also be incredibly relieving and transforming and, and beautiful. You know, I, I wonder about um, this whole thing about... Uh, the, the, the challenge of pain and suffering motivating us to, to, to find something different. I just, I wonder how peculiar that is to the sh story that we're sharing on this planet. I wonder if that's, <laughs> that's well, necessary. I think there are other ways we can change too. Yeah, okay, we can good. change because circumstances cause us to change. Yeah. We can change because of just pure free will and choice. Um, you don't have to have a negative experience, but unfortunately, most of us are pretty stationary in our patterns of life until something wakes us up. Right. Wake up call often comes through pain. Right. Or, or difficulties. It's like the what is that the, the the like Newton's laws of motion is like one of those like the inertia like a you know an object at rest stays at rest until a force pushes it you know that kind of thing. So that's that's us psychologically, right? We'll just stay put. <laughs> Until something pushes us, right? Yeah. Um, I wonder though that sometimes if um, if we as beings are somehow unconsciously, consciously, or like there's like something programmed into us to need to change, to need to grow. Uh, do you have any comment about that? Well, I I would look at that from a spiritual perspective. You know, the physicists are saying that the universe is in a state of expansion. Mm -hmm growing and, and changing and I think that's what we come in from at the end of the minute our conception takes place that's happening we are growing and changing and morphing and expanding and we keep we keep that momentum going throughout our life until it's time to start going through the death experience you know to put pull the energy back or to reconstitute the energy so I think that's one of the forces of being in in the universe is that expanded expanded capacity is always there expanded capacity expanded capacity always like it, it eternal like eternal growth eternally there wow. the universe continuing to create itself through us wow okay again exciting and scary at the same time it's uh i <laughs> I'm not, not sure. It's like uh, it's like being strapped on the nose of a rocket, right? It's like, okay, right. this is fun, but what are we doing? Ah! <laughs> That's sort of the way people live their life is on that edge. Yeah, you know, true. The reality that we're a part of that, that, that there's always that unknown, that fear, that, that that wanting to hold on and not let go, and it's part of our human condition. So I'm wondering, like in your work. What do you run across um, most people? I'm, lo I'm looking for motivating ideals. What, what, I'm like wondering, what do people seem to want the most? I mean, when me, me I think about it, I just, I just want peace, right? So what do you, in, in your thinking, what kind of ideals do people strive for that you, that you meet? Well, I would say that your ideal is probably pretty widespread most of us want peace yeah. some of us don't even know what peace is and we want peace right you know? um so probably the most typical state that i see people in both in my personal life and in my work life is is anxiety oh right in a state of unrest that something's not okay whether it's a physical problem or a, an emotional 
um, distress or a relationship that's not working out, where their needs aren't being met, there's the stress of that and the anxiety of that is what motivates people to change right. and, and want to seek support and help to get to a place of, of peace. And with the blessings of the modalities that I've been taught and that I use, there actually is a capacity to experience that peace. Wow. You move through the territory of the letting go and the trusting and the taking that leap of faith into a new dimension with yourself. And there you discover that there's some peace. Wow. That sounds amazing. Amazing. You mentioned modalities. You want to just touch on a little bit of the, some of the modalities that you use? Yeah, well, certainly um, I've been trained as a talk therapist and I, I bring, you know, all those skills to the table. But the real work for me is working through non-ordinary states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of different tools that I've learned over the years that I integrate. The primary one is hypnotherapy, where you can move into that expanded realm of awareness where the higher self is accessible directly and that wisdom can actually be experienced directly within yourself as the client wow. outside of the hypnotherapy i use energy therapies um, emdr is one that, that works beautifully as well as brain spotting and emotional freedom technique which are all considered energy therapies and energy therapies work by actually shifting the way we hold the dynamics of feelings and thoughts in our body so that there's a freedom that comes from the shift. So these anxieties, these emotions, the trouble that we're having, you can really work with it as energy. Exactly. Okay. It is energy. It is energy. Body, you feel it as a, as a pattern in the body. And you you go into the body to to determine where the patterns held, like you feel a knot in your stomach, for instance, mm -hmm. when you're anxious. So you go into the knot in your stomach in a non-ordinary state of consciousness, and it starts to morph. It starts to shift and change, mm -hmm. just by focusing on it, and giving it attention, and and listening to it, or communicating with it, or or understanding through hypnotherapy where it comes from. There can be shifts and changes that the body can. Let, let go of the pattern and move into a new homeostasis. Uh, you know, what that make me, makes me think about is um, how often, I mean, I can speak for myself easily, you know, that I would be holding on to, uh, you know, uh, frustration or resentment or, or, you know, some bad feelings. And it's all about a story I'm telling myself. It's all, it's all connected to uh, the belief of my past being a certain way, right? And so then we've been talking about how we can, you know, break out of whatever we're comfortable with to see this, you know, this new free reality. I'm just wondering, you know, this, what you're talking about here, how the anxieties, the emotions, the things that trouble us or the things that are good for us, it's really all energy. But then there's the story side of it that we're holding in our mind that... Um, that needs to be dealt with. And so how does how does that figure into the therapies? The beliefs that we have are, are in part creating our reality. Okay. So for instance, this is a, a story of, a, of someone that I worked with years and years ago. There was a person that came to me who had a energy pattern and a belief pattern of being guilty for a lot of things in, in his life. Mm -hmm. He just... 
everything that came into his his framework he felt guilty about and he didn't understand why but it was there and so through hypnotherapy he went back to a trauma in his family life where they were um, on a weekend having a family gathering and all of a sudden his little sister was missing and they, they didn't know where she went and then they heard this horrible sound of brakes out in front of their house and they went outside and his sister had been hit by a car she wasn't being watched during this family gathering and she went outside and the whole family went into absolute chaos absolute chaos like horror and this this um client of mine went and hid in a closet because he couldn't he couldn't stand the energy there he was terrified of what was going on nobody paid any attention to him he was two years old at the time incidentally mm -hmm. and it wasn't until about three or four hours later after the police had left and the ambulance had, had arrived and the, the bodies taken out, that the parents start to wonder where this two-year-old is because they've been so enmeshed in the trauma. Oh, wow. So um, he, he finally gets out and then he, he made a decision based on the trauma of this that he was responsible for what happened because nobody had paid attention to him and oh. he was being dissed in this whole thing. Oh. So from a two-year-old consciousness, he made a decision that he was guilty. Wow. And that decision affected his whole life into adulthood until he went back to that memory, which hadn't been very conscious, mm -hmm. and released that memory by bringing in the higher self-awareness. Oh, my God, I wasn't responsible for this. This was not my doing. So that corrective experience with the higher self freed him of that belief that was causing him to feel guilty for anything and everything in his life. And with that shift the guilt was lifted. He wow. was liberated from that limiting belief and paradigm that was running his life. Now, that's a very dramatic experience, but that's exactly how this work, work happens for people. It shifts the beliefs, the perceptions, and that consciousness allows a new homeostasis to emerge and a new sense of understanding and self. Wow, my goodness. The higher self is there all the time, like throughout a person's life, every moment. Is that right? Well, from a spiritual paradigm, the higher self is always, has always been and always will be. And it will follow us through all the different lifetimes we have as, as we incarnate. And it is not as much embodied in our physical body as it is accessible through our mind. Mm-hmm. And that part of ourselves supposedly stays on the inner plane where we go after we die. And the more awake we become, the more access we have with it directly as we incarnate. So part of the enlightenment process is, is knowing the higher self, accessing the higher self, and then eventually embodying and living from that state of consciousness. Okay, so what you just said, that, sound, that sounds like some sort of growth. That, that, those are sounds like stages of attainment, spiritual, personal growth. Uh, that I'm really very interested in because I think that uh, some people may be interested in just what would they do you know, short of coming to therapy sessions to to gain a greater awareness and communication with their higher self? Well, um, it has to come from within. Mm -hmm. So any kind of tool or process 
that allows us to slow down, quiet down, go inside and receive connection to that part of ourself would be applicable to our growth. That could be through movement, like through Tai Chi or yoga. It could be through meditation. It could be through being an artist and expanding your awareness as you're doing your art. Um, it can come through spiritual practices of all kinds. It, can, it will come intuitively out of the blue sometimes for people. Mm -hmm. So if you want to cultivate it, you need to cultivate an opportunity to get quiet and still enough to connect to this more subtle aspect of ourselves, to develop a relationship with it and to know how to access it more directly. But it is possible for anyone to, to do that if they, if they want to, right? Well, I would, I would assume that, that, that it's always there, whether people can access it or not. I mean, if there is a brain, you know, like a brain injury or some kind of um, physical ailment that doesn't allow you to, to function from, you know, the whole, the whole human in place that we normally are in, you might be limited. You might not have access to it because you have to have an awareness, mm -hmm. a self-awareness. I, I don't know if dogs and cats know that they have a higher self. I don't think they have that kind of self-awareness. They have a higher self for sure, but they may not be aware of being aware. Right. So it is that aware to be aware to have an experience of it. Okay. And that's, that's a, that, you know, that aware of being aware, that's a personal conundrum that I have often is you get into this like feedback loop of the, you know, you're trying to philosophize about like, who exactly am I anyway? And uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's the question you have to keep asking yourself and watch the answers change as you grow and evolve. Yeah, and I and it seems like the you know the the further back I'm able to step to take a look, there's always somewhere else to go. There's always a new perspective to get that's bigger. It seems like, and so again, um, it's a it's a, it's an endless process. And and I mean, it's very hopeful to me, you know, to feel that. Um, but also too, I you know, I, it's often that I just want life to be easy, you know, like anybody else, right? You know. Just want things to. Now you know. I want to. I want to uh, rewind a little bit. You mentioned some of your uh, your modalities, the techniques that, that you use, and uh, uh, and you know, you use. You said EMDR. You said EFT. Um, you know, these are these are like uh, techniques that you train other people in. I don't train people in EMDR. They have a trademark on that, but I can. I can show my students the basics of bilateral stimulation, which is part of what EMDR is. It's a way to balance the right and left side of the brain by bilateral stimulation, whether it's through sound mm -hmm. or through something kinesthetic, like there's these little machines that have pulsers you can hold that go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And just today I did a session with a man who, who tapped on his right and left shoulder by crossing his arms in a sequential way. So it's a stimulation of both the right and the left brain mm -hmm. to bring things into harmony and balance. Um, so uh, can you go into a little more detail? I'm curious about this. How, how is that, what's going on in the brain when you're doing this? And, uh, and how, is it, how is it helping? Okay. So we store our trauma in the, the more primal parts of our brain, the amygdala. The patterns of trauma are solidified and stored in that part of the brain. 
And when we have PTSD, it's because those parts get stimulated over and over and over again through triggers. Like maybe a sound will do it, or maybe something we see or smell will, will trigger us if we've got if we've got some kind of post-traumatic stress. And when you focus on the corpus callosum, which is the part of the brain that integrates the right and left brain hemisphere, and stimulate that, it will stimulate other parts of the brain so that the matrix of those structures, those neurological structures start to soften and open and, and shift and move. So when you use the bilateral stimulation, you are literally rewiring the brain. Oh, well, that's pretty exciting stuff too. So let me see, let me just <clears throat> see if I got that. So uh, a trauma happens and and it gets stuck in the head, gets stuck in the brain, the amygdala, right? And then your brain starts to like develop patterns uh, of, around dealing with that trauma, maybe trying to avoid it in the future. And so there could be anything about that trauma that, that we recognize in, in an innocuous situation that, that uh, gets us in a, let's say, a fear state or unconsciously we're freaked out about what we don't know why. That part that keeps uh, you know, going haywire, what you're saying is that if you stimulate the brain with this uh, bilateral technique of and and when you're when you're doing this, is a, is a person, I mean, is important to be uh, thinking about the trauma, or how do you how do you know that you're dealing with the trauma when you're doing the technique? Well, if someone comes in for therapy, they always have some kind of an issue they want to work on. So, um, let's say the issue is whenever I talk to my boss, I get tongue tied, and I feel um, I feel shame. Mm. And that, that's a pattern in that person's life to, for authority figures, let's say. Mm -hmm. So that's a pattern that they're there to work on and break. So you would have a person go to a recent time when they had a conversation with their boss, when they were feeling that tongue-tied shame, and to recall that as vividly as they possible while the bilateral stimulation's going on. So they're either listening to a headset or holding pulsars or tapping themselves bilaterally. And then while they're tapping, that's sending signals to the brain through the right and left brain hemisphere, stimulating the corpus callosum. So the brain patterns start to shift right, right there in the moment. And eventually something will emerge that the client will want to talk about. For instance, there may be a memory will come up. So they say a little bit about the memory and then they focus on the memory, which will start to unwind what's underneath the memory, which might be belief. So it's uh -huh. like peeling an onion by just staying present with the issue to start and whatever comes up in the process of doing the bilateral stimulation. And those are all little aspects that are holding that pattern in place in the brain that tendril by tendril are starting to release and open up so that there can be a complete clearing and a new homeostasis emerges. So that a true belief can be implanted instead of a false belief. For instance, I'm capable, I'm lovable, and I deserve respect. And I can respect myself might be where this particular client would end up with it. So can, do people get, you know, like uh, positive results in one session or does it take several sessions or how does that typically go with most, well, most it, clients? It could, it could be in one session, but it really depends on how many patterns are stuck in the brain that are related to the difficulties that people are experiencing. If people have a trauma like, one of my clients was walking home late at night from her restaurant job on the streets of Oakland, and she was held at knife point. 
And we used EMDR to help her mitigate that the trauma of that experience that ha that affected a lot of her life. It wasn't just the incident. It was, was she safe to be home now that somebody had her purse and her address? You know, was she, was she going to be able to walk, to, walk to work and walk home every night now? Mm -hmm. There's so, so many things. So we did a few sessions around that to finally clear it. But if somebody comes in with ritual satanic abuse in their life, you're looking at, possibly years of doing therapy to release all the connections to those series of traumas that have created this very difficult pattern in life. Right, right. Wow. But it does sound like that uh, this is an amazing technique for helping people who are, you know, I, I would, what I'm thinking about is that this isn't the kind of thing that you, what you're saying that people can usually get over easily just by talking about it or talking it through or just going to, you know, a regular therapy session. When you have that kind of, you know, traumatic experience, this sort of brain technique, sound, it sounds like a very, very efficient way of really getting to the, to the core of what's happening in the brain, right? As a matter of fact, from my perspective, talk therapy often keeps people stuck in their patterns because what what talk therapy does is let people tell the story over and over and over again about what happened and how they're feeling about it. The work that I prefer to, to bring to session is work that is not about the stories. It's about shifting the beliefs and the patterns that stay stuck with the stories that we tell so that you can have a new story. Wow. Wow. That's just, that's, that's amazing. So, have you now now to get to you personally? How long have you? I mean, this seems like a, just a, an, an amazing kind of work to do for for people and to be training other people and to, and to and to be able to be an agent for this kind of healing in the world. Now, has this always been something that you were interested in doing, or how did you come to it? Uh, if you know, tell me about that. Well, I feel very 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 committed to planetary shifts in consciousness as sort of my focus really for all the work and um, we just have to look around us and see all the problems we're dealing with politically socially environmentally um, personally to see that we're in a, we're in a pretty dark place as as a species as a planet right now and my impetus has always been to bring people to a sense of awakening and personal empowerment and to a knowing of what I believe we need to know for shifts to happen around us and through us on the planet right now, which is to remember that we're all connected. You know, the separation, the, the antagonism, the us and them mentality is what's causing, from my perspective, all the chaos and, and difficulty. When we start to do the work, like I'm talking about, what happens is through connecting with the higher self, we, we, we have a direct experience of how we're all connected. And to me, that is what's gonna be the saving grace of our planet is when we get that if I'm harming you, I'm really harming myself. And when people start to realize that in a deep inner way, people's behaviors change, they start to take responsibility for their thoughts, their work, words and deeds. And there starts to be more compassion and more empathy for others who are suffering. Um, rather than causing more suffering, we want to shift it. Right. My personal journey came out of being a child of a, of a, a rageaholic dad and an alcoholic mother and um, 
realizing at a very, very young age through the work that I've done with myself, very, very young age, like at the age of two, I said, this is crazy. This family is crazy. I want the hell out of here. I'm here to love. This does not feel like love. So I became very independent and very um, more humanity oriented rather than family oriented at a very young age. And by the time I was a teenager, I was well on my path to doing this work because of my own spiritual openings. And it's been a very synchronistic and focused journey ever since. So my, you know, the tools that I have, I'm so grateful for because the end product is transformation of consciousness. It doesn't really matter what the tools are. My goal is to support the shift. And that's what fortunately I've been able to do through this work. I love it. I love it. And so I'm comparing this to, I, I know that uh, the, uh, the religions of the world have, have done their best, I guess, you know, the, with the, uh, the, the, the paradigm of the patterns that we have of trying to, you know, teach people the right way to do things or the right way to think and that sort of thing. But you know, what, what, what I'm getting from what you're talking about is that, uh, that, that whole method of like you know feeding people the, the the platitudes or the philosophies or the you know the do's and the don'ts and if you you know if you do this you'll be saved or whatever you'll have a happy life is not what you're talking about you're talking about seeing the truth inside you and then living that because you know what it is is it's am i getting that right or right that's the path of the mystic okay the mystic goes beyond all the dogma and all the specific traditions and depends specifically on your personal relationship with the divine. And out of that personal relationship, for me, comes the knowing and the trust and the wisdom. It, because it's an inside-out experience of spirituality. It's not an outside-in, which is what religion's all about. Right, right. Um, but... As, as as people, as individuals, I don't imagine that we really get anywhere until we do it inside. I mean, that's that's my feeling of it. Yeah, and sometimes it'll happen spontaneously, but sometimes we have to work at it, you know? Once you have those experiences, those spiritual experiences, you want more. So that's usually when you get on the path. <laughs> fortunately, our egos can't sustain that spiritual state for very long until there's been a more healing and all those parts of ourselves have been more integrated to a sense of wholeness where we can hold that consciousness. But we do have moments of having enlightening experience or dipping into ecstatic states that are very spiritual, which are signposts to us. Mm -hmm. They motivate us to keep going. And like you use the word hope. Yeah. These experiences that we have give us hope that there's something more. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And you know what, Holly? I think we're going to um, call it there for today's episode. This has been a wonderful chat. I love this. I'll, thank you for, for doing this with me today. And, um, You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to share. <laughs> oh, you are. You are. Yes. Okay. And... And that's all for this episode of Audible River. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, please email us at audibleriver at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. <laughs>